Hi, I'm Jared Fuller. Welcome to Scratching the Surface. When you hear the term digital design, what do you think of? Apps, probably, maybe websites or animations or even virtual reality. All of those things are, of course, correct. But today in 2023, we can really think of all design as digital design. The books on your bookshelf were designed using digital software. Brand systems are built with computers. Architects use modeling software. Even physical experiences like retail stores or event spaces are usually conceived of on screen first and then plastered with images that were done on computers. So if everything is digital design, what does it mean to write a book on the history of digital design? This is how Stephen Eskelson opens his new book called, and you guessed it, Digital Design, A New History. When I opened the book, I expected a history of apps, of websites, of animation, and all of that is here. But Stephen also writes about the tools of design. He writes about architecture. He writes about industrial and product design. To write a book about digital design history, to me, seemed like a challenge, both in scope, but also in the pace and rate of change. And I asked Stephen on the show to talk through this process and about why and how he wrote this book. Stephen is trained as an art and design historian. He's a professor of art and design history at Eastern Illinois University. And I first read him years ago, like I bet many listeners of this show uh, did, when he wrote Graphic Design, A New History, a sweeping history of graphic design from the Industrial Revolution to the present, which is now in its third edition. So on this episode, I was interested in talking to Stephen about how he conceived of this book, deciding what goes in it and what does not, how he kept it relevant while still knowing that there are parts of it that would likely be out of date by the time it came out. And we also talked about the value of looking at these histories and the value of history books generally. We also talk about his design history book and the challenges in writing about design in a moment where it intersects with every area of modern life. If you liked this episode and what we do here at Scratching the Surface, I hope you consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon supporters get bonus interviews, full transcripts of every episode, and an exclusive monthly newsletter. Patreon supporters help keep this show free for everyone. Uh, and so if you like if you like what we do here and want to help support it, you can head over to patreon.com slash surface podcast to sign up. Thanks for listening, and here is my conversation with Stephen Eskelson. I want to start with um, sort of the biggest question. <laughs> I want to start with the biggest question. Um, what is digital design? Right. Um, obviously, <laughs> an elastic term, yeah, if ever yeah. there was one. I would just say that any design, you see, the, the trick there is design more than digital. I'd say, yeah, oh, any design, tell me more. any design using computers, fine. Okay. You, 
you used a computer, it's digital design. But then design, of course, has become such an expansive term in recent years. I don't know if you saw this and, and I don't remember the whole article, but like the MIT Technology Review earlier this year, they had it like a drop quote, which was essentially, if everything is design, is anything design? Right, was right. Sort of their question. I was like, wow, that's right on because the term seems to just have really uh, encompassed just about anything that people make. That's sort of why I asked you that because, you know, your book, which is called Digital Design A History, uh, mm -hmm. just came out and I opened it thinking that I knew what it was going to be about. I thought this was going to be about web design. I thought it was going to be about animation. I thought it was going to be about uh, like user interface, mobile mm -hmm. apps, and all of those things are in there. Right. But it's so much more than that. Um, you're talking about architecture. You're talking about VR. You're talking about pro like physical products. Yeah. Um, and you you sort of you say this early is that um, you know in many ways all design is digital at this point. And so I'm wondering how with these two terms, digital and design, that can be really elastic, especially when you put them together. How did, how did you like? Uh, sort of put a framework around that about what this book was going to include. How did you sort of de delineate this is part of the history, this, you know, I'm leaving this this out for right now. How did you do that? I mean, right, you're right. That's that's really where the, where the rubber hits the road. And I, I think that that is generally, with me at least, an organic process. Like I'm going to say, well, I'm going to start with some low-hanging fruit. Like I'm going to write about April Griman and, you know, everyone else, iconic digital design. And then while I'm working on that, what you hope at least is I'm going to say, oh, you know what would fit here is this. And, you know, this would connect to this other thing. And actually I'm going to peel that off and make it its own chapter. So it's something that's sort of, gradually builds right. and you're structuring and, and restructuring uh, as you go along. And again, there's, there's the obvious stuff, but then there's, I really want to include, I mean, the term fringe is maybe too extreme, but wanted to include works that would sort of be at the margin, sort of experimental things. Uh. And you don't know in the beginning, you start writing, you don't know where they're going to fit. I, I really admire you for doing this book because in many ways I, this a book on digital design feels like a fool's errand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like no one's going to be happy, uh, you know, right. about, you know, you're, you're going to leave something out or uh, some specific, you know, strand oh. of design is not going to be included. But then also this stuff changes so fast. I mean, yes. it's probably since you submitted the final manuscript to the day we're talking, there are new things that are changing how we think of and talk about digital design. And so how did you, t tell me why this book now um, and how you tried to sort of reconcile that you're talking about a history, but you're also talking about a history that is changing right before our eyes. 
Yes, it is. It is not like you're, you know, writing about Quattrocento painting or something. Right. There right. is, and so obviously the the great tsunami in the digital world for the last year has been AI, and mm -hmm. especially you know late last fall with Chat GPT. So to give you a sense of the schedule, I was just able to get a couple paragraphs about chatbots the <laughs> right. last time I was allowed to to actually make changes to the manuscript. But it is, as you said, I mean, there's a couple of different things there. It is so fluid and dynamic. And you can you can say that, wow, if I was starting today, you'd be ending with AI and you would. And I do in a way. I'm yeah. talking a lot about AI I not specifically about the chat bots and maybe not with the same amount of fervor that there is today, but that's, that's where you would finish today, right? That'd be the, yeah, you're structuring this book today. You're like, I'm going to finish with, you know, AI dystopia. So I think you're absolutely also right. And it's why, of course, we call it a history uh -huh. yeah. would be to deflect uh, something that has come up where, I mean, I'm sure there's got to be things in there that people would feel mm, you misrepresented that it's not exactly like that mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. or you should have emphasized this. So, yeah, I'm I'm ready to roll with the punches. What was interesting to me in one way, I kind of thought that maybe you were sort of getting around this sort of ever changing nature of this history that you're writing is that in many ways I read this book less as a history of digital design and more of putting what we now think of as digital design into a historical context, um, if that makes sense. And so you go back to the 50s, the 60s, and sort of show us how we got to this moment. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that framing, because you sort of go through this. You look at architecture, you look at type, type design, you look at uh, you know, print design and how that sort of emerged, uh, you know, with desktop computing and then how yeah. that then transitioned to the web. Can you talk about that sort of going back and almost showing us the the prehistory, I guess? Or, or, you know, how did that framing sort of come about? And does that framing sort of sound right to you? You know, that really does sound right to me. And I think it's, you know, I started with this premise which of course I kind of flog early on in the book. And the premise is that there's way too much futurist speculation. Yeah. This was my next question. <laughs> when it comes to digital tech yeah. and that it is much more embedded in history. I have a belief that people by and large are pretty straightforward. They want autonomy and love and companionship and friendship and those motivations don't change that mm. much. And so when I look at digital design, I'm always seeing the past. Mm. I'm, I'm not seeing the future because I don't think I can. And I think there is plenty of evidence that, that that's, you are really getting into um, really overly speculative ground. So I feel much more comfortable, you know, looking at something that happened 50 years ago. 
I, I wanted to hear you talk more about that sort of argument that you make at the beginning of the book. The first chapter is called The Visionaries, and you sort of critique this mindset that when we talk about the digital, and I'm putting you know quotes around mm-hmm. that, so often that is speculative. So often that is uh, l- people thinking about what might happen as opposed to looking back or looking at what is happening sort of in, in the moment. And obviously you're a historian, you know, you have a bias, <laughs> a bias there, but tell me about that tension and tell me about why you wanted to make this argument early in the book that um, there is value, not just in looking forward, but also in looking back in putting all of this in context. You know, it probably really started with Marshall McLuhan, mm. who I've, sort of had an obsession for a long time back probably when he made a cameo in Annie Hall. Yes. And um, I always thought that his career and the way it jumped technology from being essentially about television to him being this uh, sort of posthumous digital guru had always fascinated me and especially because as i say in the book i think a lot of the things he said were brilliant but they were sort of brilliant in their silliness uh, right. more than than brilliant in their brilliance and so i really initially kind of focused on him and at the same time i was like the reason there are luminaries like this is because there's such a burden put on digital design you're not you know at the least you're supposed to disrupt something entirely but it's like the fate of humanity is is tied to digital design in in some things you would write are we so can we talk about some of the specifics um sure in, in the book and you know i come to this through a graphic design background. And so I was obviously really sort of interested in, in that. And like I said, the book is more than just graphic design. We can t- we'll talk about graphic design later when we talk about your other history book. Um, mm-hmm. But I was, one of the most interesting pieces of the book to me was uh, your chapter on what you call digital print and web. Uh, and you mentioned April Griman earlier, and I'm glad you brought her up because I thought your, your section on her was so interesting to me because I had not, and this also speaks to what we were just talking about, about sort of putting her into a historical context. Um, And so I want to read something that you write uh, and then then ask you about it. Uh, In that chapter, you write, the first digital innovation in graphic design outside the computer industry came through print. In the late 80s, as computers emerged to design tools, print was graphic design. Furthermore, the first digital graphics to break through into the mainstream were designed in a style that, in fact, had no digital roots. This situation comes up repeatedly through digital design history, in which many works that are celebrated as establishing a new digital aesthetic actually represent the digitization of something older. And I loved that because, A... That immediately made sense to me, and I had, and B, I had never thought about it that way before. And so you talk about how Griman studied with Wolfgang Weingart, yeah. that you know was was not working digitally. Can you talk to me about that transition and about how so much early graphic design that we think of as part of the digital revolution, um, how that got connected to the digital revolution, but those those sort of earlier roots that led us there. Right. I mean, I, that's something that 
totally fascinates me. So like in, in Griman's case, you know, it's, it's all about these layers and people look at it and mm-hmm. they, they see software. Right. And uh, it is, of course, something that had been done for decades. And I would imagine, and I, of course, can't speak for her, that it is something she'd been exposed to, all the sort of novel ways of producing things with various types of essentially plastic sheets of one sort or Mm -hmm. another and adding these layers. And when I look at like her design quarterly piece, uh, you know, that's, that's what I see. Right. And then what really fascinates me is this disjunction. Like if people are talking digital design a little later in the mid nineties, you have to print everything out. Right. It's like, there is no digital design. You're, you're reading wired magazine. It's got day glow colors and, and layers and distortions. And, but wait, you, you printed out the internet, except there right. is no internet. Right. And well, so, so that moment, I love that moment. And, and so, and you compare Griman and you sort of contrast her work with David Carson's work. Yeah. Um, and you say, you write about how Griman's work looks digital. You know, we see that as digital, even though, you know, that early work was not where Carson's never does. And so can you talk about how this idea of something looking digital, where did that come from? Or, or why, why does Griman's work look, you know, why does Griman's work sort of suggest digitalness in a way that Carson's does not? Well, I think part of it is, and again, for me, this would go back to, you know, Vingard, Dan Friedman, mm-hmm. uh, Milieu, you know, that she was a, a, a leader in. And that it's the iconography itself is kind of futuristic. There's like abstract graphics. And then there's sort of, you know, what seem to be views of outer space, as I remember the design mm-hmm, quarterly mm-hmm, piece. Mm-hmm. While you look at early Carson and it's, it is so grounded. So in my mind, and this analogy might be strained, um, uh, Griman is, is like, Plato, her iconography points to the theoretical, to the heavens. And Carson is like Aristotle, and he's looking at the world around him and saying, no, you you design the gritty reality right in front of you. So I guess it's sort of a really kind of a gut thing with me. Yeah. I mean, I, when I was reading that, I was thinking about the work of Nancy Skolos and Tom Waddell, who also mm-hmm. have a, a, a new monograph out. And what's really interesting, and they talk about this in their book, is um, in the 80s, they were doing things by hand, layer, you know, sort of that, that early Griman work. You're talking about plastics. Mm-hmm. And then they were photographing it all. There was nothing done digital. Um, but their clients thought the work was digital. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you right. know, and then it switched where then... Um, when, when computers became more widely accessible, everyone was, uh, everyone thought that their work was not digital. Like there was this like flip that happened. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I have a question there, but I find this, this idea of something looking digital, does that, that boils down to sort of like a, a futurism you think, or is there, is there more to it than that? No, I, I think it is largely a futurism. It can also it can be as simple as the palette they choose. 
Mm. Um, and but again, I go more. Maybe I'm I'm being in a way too literal minded. The style can trick you. So I often rely on the content, if you will. Uh, so and that's, of course, to me, this great paradox is I, re I still remember when I first discovered that David Carson's work wasn't all handmade. Uh, you know, I kind of right. foolishly thought like, oh, my goodness, grunge, you know, you're you're laboring away. Everything has got that touch of the hands. Right. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm so wrong about this. And it, it's made me very wary because, like you said, somebody could hand you something, tell you it's digital design or vice versa. And uh, it might it might not be what it seems. And I think what's so interesting um, about that and what's interesting about the book is that a lot of the book, you know, so much of what you have to do in this book is that you're actually writing about the tools of, of creation, um, mm -hmm. you know, almost equally to the output of those tools. Yeah. And in, in thinking about the design of the tools, the evolution of the tools, and then the evolution of their output, can you talk a little bit about how those start to influence each other and how the new tools, how new digital tools were changing how we think of digital design and what digital design can be and then vice versa, how sort of that evolution was then changing, changing well, the tools? I'm interested in that sort of overlap. Well, let me see. Like what I'm fascinated by there is the way the tools in, you know, software, broadly speaking, have become so complex mm. and it's been going on for decades now there was a time in the kind of early digital where someone with a little moxie could sit down and sort of figure it out maybe uh. ask for a few tips mm. and now there is has been this just enhancements if you will the software to a point where i think it is it is really hard for many people to grapple with and what i think that leads to is kind of channeling and this is something i think it's art chantry who spoke has spoken about over the years where the software you know especially it's just like a UX UI issue is going to steer you into certain kinds of forms. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, it's really true. It's really been an issue in digital architecture. So you have, for me, the big back and forth with the work has got to do with how difficult some of these software tools uh, are to use effectively. I wonder if that speaks to, you know, I I, I was much more familiar with the graphic design side of this. Again, is we we talk about postmodernism. We talk about sort of this layered work of Griman or Carson. Um, we talk about this sort of uh, move away from modernist graphic design with the rise of the computer, and and I think all of that is true. Mm -hmm. um, but you also talk about how a lot of contemporary digital design has fallen back into sort of, I, I think you refer to them as like Bauhaus principles. Um, you know, right. there has been a retreat from that type of uh, let's push the tools as far as they can go. And so I look at something like 
um, you know, like Griman's work or, you know, Frank Gehry, who you write about. Mm -hmm. And then I look at the interface of Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that sort of uh, experimentation has sort of um, gone away. It's like the, the sort of formal inventiveness that these tools were sold, sold to us 30 years ago uh, is no longer a selling point. Um, yeah. Is that because of the complexity of the tools? Do you, was that just like a new tool, let's play with it? Um, can you sort of talk about that a little bit? I mean, it's interesting because there's a couple, a couple different things there. I, I do, oh, I have at times wondered if a love of a, you know, sort of minimalist aesthetic has got to do with sort of resistance against the shock and awe of like trying to pick up Maya or even Photoshop mm. these mm. days and trying to build a career using it. It's, you're gonna suddenly realize you're looking at a many years of learning and it's like, well, hey, but if, but if we embrace this Bauhaus style and you know, one of my obsessions is big tech's endless flogging of yeah. what they claim is the, is the Bauhaus and partly is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I worry that, you know, it's a paradox here, right? The companies are going to tell you that, you know, After Effects or something is, is getting so much better and it's going to make you so much more creative and they have wonderful branding and advertisements to that effect. But in reality, it's becoming the anti-sandbox, a sandbox like you can play in, right? It's, That's you can work stuff out. But these things are not a sandbox. It's like suddenly somebody put you in charge of the test at the Chernobyl nuclear station. They're like, <laughs> okay, have at it. And it's like, gosh, there's a lot of dials here. Do you feel a, a responsibility in sort of critiquing these systems in a, in a book like this? I mean, because you, you, you sort of suggest that at points, but I've never heard you say that as clearly as you just said it to me. Um, yeah. But is that a conscious decision to leave those sort of outside of, you know, a quote unquote history book? I mean, and you see, <laughs> I feel pretty free. You know, that's that's sort of the trade off. Right. As you said, the the earth is turning under my feet and the right. digital world is changing. You know, since we started, like seven new things have come on board. And so but I feel that that gives a certain amount of freedom. So like when I was in undergrad or grad school in art history, there was sort of a rule. The rule was you don't talk about anything that is 20 years old because it's too old. It's too young, excuse me. Yeah, right. And you and you have absolutely no perspective. So I have a certain amount of freedom because I'm like, ah, oh, 2017, yeah, let me, let me give you a, a take. It's why this book is, in my mind, best characterized as, as design history and design writing, mm. because and sometimes it's really trying to plot out a history. Other places, it's you know bordering on criticism. Right. I mean, the reason I ask you that is that you're for um, I don't know. I guess like a, a decade at this point, you you wrote graphic design a new history, which is now in its third edition. When right. did the first edition of that come out? Oh, 
seven. I okay, so like 15, 15 years yeah. ago. Um, with the most recent one coming out about you know four or five years ago. Uh, and in early in that book, uh, you write, and I'm again going to quote you here, you said, it is my belief that graphic design history has too often been presented through a parade of styles and individual achievements devoid of significant social context, and that this tendency has obscured much of the richness and complexity of its development. In contrast, this book uh, is predicated on the idea that graphic design and typography are the most communal of art forms, and I strive to show how deeply they are embedded in the fabric of society in every era. And, um, you know, I went, I went back to a new history in thinking mm -hmm. about, about talking to you, and I was really struck by that, that line that I just read to you. Um, because in many ways, digital design is also the most communal of art form. You know, it has, yeah. you know, I'm thinking about social media. I'm thinking about being online, being connected. And and I, I do not mean this to be a critique of, of the digital design book, but there isn't a lot of that social context in there. And I'm wondering sort of um, the, the sort of when you turn those knobs up, if you could sort of talk about the, like, you know, talk about sort of that writing process of like, when am I going to sort of bring in uh, the social, the political, you know, the sort of the economics of this? And when am I talking specifically about technological development? You're right. And, and ideally, there, you know, is some sort of synergy there, right, where they're all connected. And I, I think when, you know, the part of this book that is the recent present is where urine treacherous waters right. particularly in terms of of that realm and in in terms of you know what's embedded what's meaningful in society so i what i stay mainly with in the in the digital design history book is you know i i hope i'm more skeptic than cynic but mm. this notion this endlessly Kind of this perpetual present of transformation and disruption you know that the only the only static thing is change the only thing you can count on is it's always changing and that that is sort of a life's blood to digital design in a way yeah. and it is also you know something that corporations i think exploit to a great deal. So see, what you bring up is really interesting because you're, you're making me, I'm sort of thinking out loud here. Yeah, go for um, it. Well, in that, obviously, if you were to, you know, look at, choose your, you know, favorite five big tech companies, um, there's been a lot more attention, even in just the last few years to, you know, pernicious business practices, mm -hmm. let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how much is that something you know, you're in a tricky thing because, like, say you're, you're talking about Apple and you're talking about Steve Jobs and Iconic. And on the one hand, it's this, you know, it's this celebration, right? This company mm -hmm. did amazing things from a, from this digital design standpoint. And, and so, yeah, how much do you want to go into the, the possible doom and gloom? See, I don't want to go the opposite way. I'm skeptical right, of right. the, like, you know, everyone's uh, living in this this wonderful world, but I don't want to be. You, you know, I actually say this goes back to McLuhan. I, I talk a little bit about that. You know, 
he he went all in celebration. And before right, that, right. he was best described as a curmudgeon. Like things he wrote, sort of some obscure scholarly essays, were yeah. very, you know, I, I think of like Eeyore or something. You know, yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, I feel sort of trapped in the middle there. Yeah, not. and I and I get that, and I probably lean more towards the the cynic and the skeptic, just to be okay. to to sort of to to put my cards on the table. And I think you know, hearing you say that, and what I'm sort of struck by is. Um, you know, we've seen a sort of um, opinion shift in the last five, six, seven years about mm -hmm. sort of popular perception of big tech. Um, yeah. You know, Facebook went from, you know, being this sort of great tool that makes us more open and connected to is destabilizing democracy. You know, so yeah. Google, Apple, Amazon, you know, all of these, the, the opinions have sort of shifted there. And yeah. what's interesting to me is that many of those discussions talk about these companies as tech companies. Mm -hmm. uh, and in many ways, they are also design companies. You know, we interact with them through design, through interfaces, through stores. And I'm wondering about designs. And now I'm talking out loud, sort of thinking oh, about yes, this. Please. You know, what is what is design's role here? If Facebook is making the world more open and connected, uh, then design is a force for good. But if if Facebook is destabilizing democracy, then design is destabilizing. Yeah. You know, and designers are destabilizing democracy. And I, I guess I'm sort of wondering sort of where we you know, if we can draw those lines or sort of how we can, you know, how we can sort of think about that, the implications of our work in this sort of global technological context. See, and I mean, you bring up an interesting issue in terms of this notion of like design's culpability for, yeah, you know, yeah. name, name whatever sort of social ill or situation you, you know, don't like. And that's something that I kick around a lot in my mind, because at times it's sort of like at the beginning when I was talking about this, this uh, MIT article, it, when everything's become design, right. it, the, the, the use of the term has, it, it's become denuded of much meaning. Yes. And so I really... You know, I'm not sure if I blame design because I'm like, well, what do you mean by design? Because to a certain degree, the core meaning is which customized sans serif typeface your <laughs> brand is going to rely on. Yeah. And I'm like, that probably doesn't have a meaningful impact in these in these big issues. Yeah, yeah. And so then it's like, well, now you're getting into that, the expanded notion of design. And I do believe in this, right? I, I do believe there are instances where designers are going to frame something in such a way that it's going to become part of the cultural conversation. Again, probably organically. It might, I'm not saying in some sort of predatory planned sense. And it's going to end up shaping the way people see something, and it might be in a way you think, wow, that's not the way that should be shaped. Right, right. What I have trouble with is, can you predict that? Right. You right. know, those big moments where design is not the window dressing, design is the engine. 
Yes, yes. I think that's that is that is you know very well said. So let me ask you this because you you actually sort of set up what what I was thinking about for this this next question. Mm-hmm. Writing a writing a history book of graphic design and graphic design in many ways is a, just as elastic yeah. <laughs> as, as digital design. And we see this you know in, in higher education where you know, programs are changing their name, you know, graphic design, visual communication, communication design, graphic communication, um, user experience design, which is just like you sort of graphic design programs, you know, digital media, digital media. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, creative technology, you know, you see, you see all of these, um, how do you, how do you sort of define graphic design today? And, and do do you think what what is happening today you know the interfaces of you know these these platform you know all of this is this graphic design or how does this work how does this sort of digital design connect to graphic design history maybe is the question is that term still still a useful container for this i mean that you know that's really interesting it's something i i I talk about with students a lot the term i i think dates back to the 1920s in Dwiggins. And I will say, speaking of social media, there's a group you you might have, have gotten on, I, I think it's actually on Facebook, of graphic design professors uh. who recently discussed this. Uh, and like you said, it's it's is there a better term? Does it sound sort of, of like something that has ended in a way? And... Uh, the consensus I keep saying is, uh, we haven't done any better yet. Now, going to the second part of your conversation, I can remember, of your question, I can remember, say, the early 2000s when I'm working, first working on, on the graphic design book, talking to friends who worked in print and saying to them, so, like, web design, is, is that graphic design? <laughs> right. And, the, and, and many of them saying no, right? Saying, right. no, that, that's, that's an offshoot. And it's interesting to see how that's changed because it's right. become like what many people think of as the, the beating heart, especially in a lot of graphic design programs because it's something that I think has a certain sort of sizzle that attracts students. Right. And so now... Digital design, graphic design, right. It sounds like, well, in graphic design, you're printing out your emails or something, (laughs) you know, something frowned upon like that uh, from the 19th, excuse me, the 20th century. Um, So part of the expanded field is, of course, made it harder. You know, I was saying earlier, it's hard to deal with this technology. The other thing, though, is conceptually, I go and I'm a graphic design major today and right off, they're going to start talking about experience and culture. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. now you're saying I don't just have to make this look good and sort of understand why it looks good and how to do that. I, you know, I got to do the eye candy part still. So I guess I'll just go with the Bauhaus style, but then. Oh, right. It's like, it's like the design program, like a, a, a higher education design program is like the complexity of the tools that yeah, we were talking exactly. about. Exactly. Because yeah. conceptually, they're going to throw all this stuff at you and be like, oh, you here, here's Roland Barthes. Uh, you know, go, yeah. go read that. His critique of advertising in mid-century was really important. You're like, <laughs> open this book 
yeah. translated from the French. And you're just like, wait, I thought I was going to learn Photoshop. And boy, is Photoshop complicated. Right. Well, you, I mean, to, not, to, not to keep quoting uh, your books, but at the mm-hmm. end of the latest edition of it, Graphic Design and New History, yeah. you, you said something that I've thought about. You write something that I've thought about a lot. Um, which speaks to this, I think. You write, the quest for meaning in graphic design is partly a product of its rich artistic side. While accountants or engineers may not usually be beset with finding larger meaning in their work, graphic designers have often asked abstract questions along these lines. One thing that is abundantly clear, however, is that there will be a continuing demand for designers who have a sophisticated awareness of history, technology, and contemporary culture. And I think this speaks to what we're talking about here because... Um, you know, the argument that I see in that, and I think the argument that you make in that book is that graphic design isn't just a technical field. Uh, It isn't just problem solving in a way that engineering maybe is, that it is also a type of, you know, cultural production. Um, It is also a type of narrative and storytelling. It is both um, technical and cultural. Uh, And, and I'm, I'm wondering about this, this sort of, you know, designers wanting meaning and how you think about that today in this world where all these terms are so elastic. Um, How do you think about sort of the value of graphic design or the meaning of, of graphic design? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I feel like there's in many ways this kind of real stratification in a way Mm -hmm. between the students and then uh, a lot of graphic designers who you know like yourself are history and theory uh, you know compelled to explore it and in that way the kind of cultural depths and i of course love graphic design because like you just said it's got it's got every dimension Right, right. Right. And, you know, I go back to, uh, I'm, uh, you know, the famous uh, ideo design thinking uh, notion, mm. which is, you know, I could, is something that, you know, was such a rage for so long. And one of the things that I can't think of his name right now, I think it's Tim something, but yeah, Tim Brown. Tim Brown. Oh, it is. Okay, right. Yeah. Right. He would have like the three things that you know went into it, people, technology and business. And what I appreciate about that was really the business side, because I feel this conversation too much in graphic design has been, well, if you're that you can't have your cake, you need it too. like if you're the counterculture designer and you're you know, thoughtful and you have to sort of align yourself against business. And we've seen this there in a lot of, you know, think of like TDR or something. And I I speak in the books of like what I describe as at some of these designers, almost a self-loathing about commercial work. And I, I've always thought that's, you're missing out on one of the big dimensions of the field. And you can, you can bring all those together in an ethical way. And again, in a roundabout way, what I'm saying is this is why to me, like graphic design, contemporary graphic design versus like say contemporary art. Mm-hmm. Contemporary graphic design is 
so much more interesting to me because the commercial side of it gives it some structure. Mm, right. There, it is a job. Right. And that is a great thing in focusing people's attention. People are living their lives and trying to pay their mortgage and they're in a real complicated situation at times. Is there going to be a new edition of graphic design, a new history at any point? Okay. Well, it, it's, or, or can you talk about that? No, no. I mean, I, you know, October 17th, I guess yesterday, the new book came out <laughs> and I was, uh, you know, kicking around. Um, what am I going, uh, you know, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Um, or at least in, in, a, in a few weeks. And I definitely think there's space for it. Like if, uh, you know, if you asked me, is, is it time? Is there something you could do? And I would say, yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there's just so much more information. Number one on non-Western design traditions. Yep. I'm talking about a very practical matter. Even, you know, say the third edition of that book, I was probably writing it five years ago. The difference between five years ago today yeah. is just, it's, it's stunning. And I'd already seen it between like the second and third editions, but it's really accelerated. Yeah. And so I'd be really excited to see, I think the Western I have nailed down about as well as I can do, <laughs> but I would love to, um, because, you know, it's a problem like of just simple things like practical matters, like language, like someone says, oh, you know, you should write more about, you know, graphic design in, you know, XYZ country. It's yeah. like, well, to be frank, I don't understand what's written about it there. So that has changed. And like the English speaking world now, yeah. I think you can learn a lot and I could do that. Well, that's, and that's exactly, that's exactly why I asked that question. I have like two more questions to, to, to wrap up because what is so interesting to me about this conversation that we're having and, and about both graphic design and new history and your, your new book, Digital Design, mm -hmm. is that, you know, we can talk about graphic design as a profession, as a job. We can talk about it as problem solving. We can also talk about it as cultural production, as, as, um, as content generation. We can talk about it as it relates to business. We can talk about it as it relates to culture. We can talk about it as it relates to politics. We can talk about it as it relates to technology and to the tools. And so in many ways, a history of design is a history of culture. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. a history of, of society, of how people live together. And I'm wondering, and, and, and then, you know, there are all of these movements, which are, you know, so welcome of these expanded histories of non-Western history, you know, all of this. And I'm wondering when the history, when a history gets so big, uh, yeah. you know, to encompass all of these things, whether that is sort of decolonization and non-Western histories, mm -hmm. but also just sort of alternative practices, non-commercial practices, you know, cultural practices, what what do you see as the value of like these big history books? <laughs> you know, do, are they, and I'm not, I'm not asking you to sort of critique your own work or say that, that a new edition is not necessary, but what, what is, what is the value of a, of a book like that? And how do you, how do you tell a history like that when it encompasses so many different things? And is it, I mean, is that even of value? 
No, I, I think where the value is, is, is going to be in what synergy you can find there. So in other words, you're absolutely right. It's like, okay, you're going to take something, you're going to tack on, you know, five non-Western works and say, yeah, in each of these places, they also have graphic design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, you're, you're just sort of, that's kind of performative. And so what I would like to think is that you can do it in a way where it is synthesized. And so mm -hmm. it all resonates. It doesn't feel like right. it's, you know, these chunks of things, but that it, it, but that it flows together. So I would like to think that, that that is what I could do with it. I'd be in an easier situation. Yeah. You know, I, I think back, you can imagine with either of these books, you know, going back to, to digital design with so many topics, you know, I can remember still like that first day yeah. sort of like, yeah. <laughs> thinking like, whoa, you know, where do, where do I go from here? Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that there, it's all, to me, it is all about the connections you can make. Some might be far-fetched. Um, you know, in, in the new book, I, I, I make this connection between Nikki Descent Falls shot paintings and right. first person shooters. Right, right. And uh, I, you know, it, it's something I feel there, there is a, there is something there, you know, yeah. so I'm looking to connect things in, in that way. My last question uh, for you is the last question that I used to end all of these. You, your, your book just came out. And so, you know, you have some downtime, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Uh, what are you reading right now? Okay. What am I reading? So this is, there's something funny about this because I was reading, I don't know if you've seen this meme lately. There's this joke about uh, people thinking about Rome. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't understand what this is or where this came from, but I, I don't have seen know. this. I think it's like a TikTok thing or something, okay. <laughs> but I will say the funny thing that you asked me that is, you know, Mary Beard, publishes with Princeton oh, right. a, a lot of works about Rome and that I have been, I have a, a few of them <laughs> and I've been sort of jumping around and reading about Rome. And I was like, Oh my goodness. It's like the, you know, this unbelievable cliche. Like you are the cliche. Last, yeah. Yes. I was thinking about Rome today. <laughs> I love so, it. Not digital. Well, your book is called Digital Design, A History. It is just recently released. I think uh, it does a great job, like I said, of contextualizing really this moment that we're in right now and sort of, you know, help, it really helped me sort of understand how we got here. And, and uh, I really enjoyed this conversation and sort of picking at these ideas at a, you know, sort of, uh, you know, maybe more meta level. So, Stephen, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks so much. It was great fun. That was my conversation with Stephen Eskelson. It was recorded on October 18th, 2023. His new book, Digital Design and History, is now available from Princeton University Press. Our theme music is by Jeremiah Chu. The show is and always will be free thanks to the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you like what we're doing around here, I hope you consider supporting us and get some bonus content each month. You can follow us across social media at Surface Podcasts, and you can listen to all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>